Hello, and welcome back to Love at First Screening, the show where, usually, my friend, co-host, and rom-com enthusiast Madison, that's me, introduces me, Chelsea, the resident genre skeptic to all the cliche, feel good, questionable, romantic, sometimes humorous, definitely hilarious, films I've never wanted to watch. This week, however, we're mixing things up again. I've grabbed the reins to old Saint Nick's sleigh, and I'm here to deliver holiday cheer that's undeniably queer. Oh yeah, it feels good to be back, baby. Does it? Are you so glad? Do you know what also feels really good? What feels so good, Chelsea? What feels really good is that after, on this, the 12th episode that we're recording, you have finally figured out your audio. (laughs) (laughs) So Chelsea, did you expect me to spend this much money on a microphone and then also read how to use it you want me to read a user's manual this is it's truly astounding truly astounding like like your audio got better but i still was like for i know what you spent on that microphone it should be better than it is oh yeah no everyone (laughs) everyone was like blue yeti is the podcasting microphone They're not a sponsor, but they should be. And I was like, okay, I'll get the like the mini version. And I found out today there are, in fact, uh, there's a difference in the settings. One, you know, grabs all the ambient noise, really grabs everything in the room. And the other one doesn't. And the other one that doesn't looks kind of like a little butt. So... In this episode, I'm showing my ass by finally getting my shit together and making my sound bearable. Just in time for the holidays. So Madison's Madison's Christmas gift to everyone is that she's finally figured out how her fucking audio works. Look, I can barely operate a calculator on some of the best days. Although I do want it noted that when I got home and set up my remote stuff for my remote working space, the IT guy was like, call me if you have any questions, if you have any issues at all. He's like, actually set up like a meeting and I will walk you through everything. And it was just a docking station, a laptop, two monitors and a printer. That was it. It wasn't rocket surgery and I was able to do it by myself. The only issue that I had was then syncing my printer to my computer once I got everything set up, but it's just because I was trying to set it up in the virtual machine, uh, which you shouldn't try to do. You should do it outside of that. So this is all to say that no one trusts me to be tech savvy and anyone who did up to this point, that's on them. But Chelsea, I mean, I also want it noted that I am truly in the holiday spirit with this one. I made my own cranberry juice today and I have a Beveragino made with this cranberry juice. So I'm ready. I am so fucking festive. I'm ready to deck somebody. Zahals. <laughs> well, it, it, it's a good thing you're feeling festive because this week we watched the 2021 film Single All the Way, which was written by Chad Hodge, who, according to IMDb, is known for TNT's Good Behavior and Fox's Wayward Pines. Those are both TV series. And it was directed by Michael Mayer, who had a producer credit 
on the 2008 rom-com 27 Dresses, which starred Katherine Heigl opposite James Marsden. And he also directed several episodes of NBC's uh, Smash, which was a Broadway uh, TV show. And I don't remember any of the actors' names, but Angelica Houston was in it, and she was my favorite character. (laughs) Would you say that it was a Smash hit? No, I would not. It got canceled. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's so sad. It really was. I will say that the main thing that I always think about when I think about 27 dresses is the... Have you seen it? Yes, I have. That's one of the rom-coms I have seen, yes. Okay, so the scene where they're in the bar and they're singing Benny and the Jets and she's like, she's got electric boobs. I have insisted on singing that way ever since I heard that. I'm like, you know what? Electric boobs is a great line. Elton John missed out not using it. You know, Madison, it's funny you should bring up uh, incorrect lyrics for Benny and the Jets because uh, we previously, a couple episodes ago, talked with our friend Emma, who we worked uh, as writing tutors with. And one of the things that we did on the clock, uh, because we were very professional, was look up misheard lyrics to that song. I don't know if you were there that day, but I remember doing that. I'm a professional. I don't recall that, but that sounds amazing. Yep. We did a lot of very, you know, important, important work there. Of course. So Single All the Way stars Michael Urie as Peter, opposite Philmon Chambers as Nick, alongside Luke McFarlane, who... If you don't know him by name, you will certainly know his face. He's been in just about every Christmas movie ever. Uh, Barry Bostwick, Jennifer Robertson from Schitt's Creek, Kathy Najimi, who everyone will know as one of the Sanderson sisters in Hocus Pocus, and of course, the incomparable Jennifer Coolidge. There, here's here's the thing. Jennifer Coolidge has been popping up in a lot of different stuff recently, and I don't like it because it's not enough, you know? She's made this comeback, but why is she not in every show and every movie to have ever existed? I know that would keep her a very busy lady, but even if she just popped up and did little Jen Cool cameos, that's all I want from her because... I've never met a film or a TV show that had Jennifer Coolidge that I didn't love. Yep. Jen Cool Cameos 2023, everyone. I am campaigning for that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you have not watched Single All the Way, here's what you need to know about this Christmas. It's not a classic. It came out last year, but this Christmas It's a masterpiece. Masterpiece. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) um it is all about peter who is a social media strategist from los angeles uh going home for the holidays to his family in new hampshire a picturesque snow-covered town and he's all excited to bring his new beau except that his longtime friend and roommate nick who wrote a children's book that is keeping him in the lap of luxury and a very accurate representation of publishing salaries, is uh, on a a job as a task rabbit because, you know, the gig economy is alive and thriving. 
And he sees that his friend's new boyfriend is actually married to a woman. So they break up, but now Peter is feeling like down. And so he decides that he will just pretend Nick and him have finally started dating after all these years. They're going to go home uh, with his family and he's not going to be the single one. Uh, which is something that uh, his family likes to point out to him always. But as they arrive, his mother has met her spin instructor, who is a gay man living in the tiny New Hampshire town for the season to be a ski instructor, supplementing that income as a spin instructor. And she just so happens to set them up on this blind date. Peter's plans crumble when Nick decides... He should definitely go on this date with this charming spin instructor slash ski instructor. And then as that is all happening, the family starts to realize that uh, Nick is in love with Peter and they are sort of conspiring to get the two of them to admit their feelings for each other. And then in the end, Peter admits his feelings and Nick buys him a plant shop with all of that sweet, sweet dough he has from the publishing industry. Again, which is totally an accurate representation of what publishing salaries look like. Uh, And then they decide to move back to New Hampshire and live in this small town um, because that's totally. Yep. Yep. mm -hmm. (laughs) So. I think we can all tell what I think about Nick's publishing salary, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, Madison. Now I will I will guess what you thought of this, and um, I feel like you kind of gave it away. Look, I know you love Jennifer Coolidge's cameo in this, and this is it's queer rom com, which historically you've been on the record saying is just always done better. Uh, this does feel very much like a Hallmark film. It's just a Hallmark film that's gay. And uh, so honestly, I think you had a great time watching it. I, I do. I think you enjoyed it. I loved it so much. It's everything that you want in like a cheesy Christmas or just holiday in general rom-com. It's so good. It's so warm. It's like a cup of hot cocoa for your soul. Also, it didn't hurt that all the people in this movie, or at least all the love interests, were really hot. Eye candy for everyone. It really was. I think that the the love interests in this definitely rival uh, the love interests of past watches in terms of their physical beauty but no I really do think that it had all of the amazing elements and uh, there were so many like little tropes walking through it you know you have the friends to lovers you have the classic oh no there's only one bed trope at one point sort of it was like subdued you have the silly you know oh help me with this thing that has to get done and the bonding and you had the little dance and music moment it was just everything but I really liked how they brought everything together because I think at the end of the day there wasn't okay you have god what is his name 
Guys, again, I'm never going to remember anyone's name in any movie ever. And that's just the thing. Peter, the main character, you know, the name that they say over and over again. But with Peter and James, when they're on their last, not really date, but when they're out for drinks for the very last time, where James tells Peter, like, hey, uh, I don't understand why you don't realize that you're in love with Nick and that you guys are meant to be. And this isn't going to work out, even if you really want it to, just because I represent an ideal but your ideal isn't me, it's Nick. And he wasn't, like, upset or butthurt or anything. It was just very genuine and kind. And no one, I think that's what I like so much about this movie, is it had the Hallmark element of the romance and everything, but sometimes Hallmark can be like, oh, here's a bitchy inner city woman that this nice small town boy is dating and he shouldn't date her or something like that and you don't really get that here my question now that you've pointed this out is do we not get that here because these are all men and so we're allowed to treat men better than we treat women Ooh, that's a really good question likely i think that there's a strong tendency to dramatize women no matter what role they're in and you see that a little bit in here but it's all done very in a, in a sweet and fun way you know the mom is very dramatic the sister is a dr- more dramatic character even the nieces who conspire the whole time to get Peter and Nick together they can be on like the dramatic side but that's more so presented in like the meddling family way it's less gendered than it normally would be but yeah I think that in media we have a tendency to create extremes for the women involved you wouldn't really have that here because it's a gay male story yeah although I will say that I did like too that When we talked about the birdcage, Nathan Lane's character was more flamboyant, more dramatic, and part of that was just that he was a diva. Like, his character was designed to be very much the diva, but it also leaned into that gay male stereotype of everything is just so which also leans into a lot of female-based stereotypes because when in media typically they try to portray gay men in a slightly more negative light or like annoying or something like that they increase feminine traits because of course Feminine traits have to be the annoying ones. And you didn't see any of that in here either. There wasn't, I mean, they were just people. They weren't stereotypes. And that was also really nice because it added to how genuine the characters came across. Even if it is very storybook, hallmarky, um, it was very human. And I think that's what I really loved about this love story. Yeah. I watched this for the first time in July of this year. I didn't watch it last year. I was going to, uh, but I just didn't get around to it. 
and that's okay. You know, I, I'm busy. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not, but <laughs> just to get around to it. To be fair, you are busy during the holiday season. You have a lot more traveling. Yeah, that's true. I'm a I'm a traveling woman. I gotta gotta go visit the family because I I don't live near them. So excuse me, Chelsea. I thought this whole time that you were coming to visit me <laughs> and like everyone else was just a happy benefit. I'm a little upset. Are you saying Madison. that you didn't drive? Madison, I my mother listens to this podcast, so I can't I cannot let her know that I'm actually coming to visit you. She would be <laughs> devastated. Aaron, I come to visit you for the holidays. I'll see you at your holiday party. <laughs> Should that be Miss Aaron? Should that be Miss Aaron? Do I need to put like an honorific on her name? I just said her name outright, like we play bridge together or something, and now I want to backpedal it. Like, oh God. Honestly, if you want to be my mom's best friend, I think she would love to hang out with you. So, Oh, my God. Don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> I'm coming to learn that everyone in my life love adores you. Um, I'm like, I don't even think anyone likes me anymore. <laughs> you know what? I could, I could say the same about you. Everyone's like, oh, my God. Paul was like, oh, my God. I can't believe that I met Chelsea's sister twice, but didn't even meet Chelsea once. Like no shade to Marissa at all. He we very much enjoyed hanging out with Marissa. He's like, I just can't believe that like I never met Chelsea once in two years. A crime. It is. I don't even know what I was gonna ask you before we we got <laughs> off on this holiday. T- oh, okay. I remember. Okay. As I was saying, I watched this for the first time back in July and I immediately texted Madison and our a couple of our other friends who are all huge rom-com people uh and I was like this is really cute if you haven't seen it I I think it's worth the watch Madison didn't watch it so I was like okay perfect I don't watch anything Christmas outside of Christmas I love to break rules and actually that's not even breaking a rule because my mom's rules for Christmas things are you cannot participate. You can't watch. Listen, uh, unless it's after Thanksgiving and through the New Year. That's or in July, and that's because when I watch Christmas it. in July. Exactly. So I actually did not break any rules, um, but I was dog sitting and and I was needed something to watch, and I was like, you know what, I'll watch this. Uh, but uh, watching it a second time, I'm like, okay, despite. The things that I enjoy about this movie. This is not something that uh, I think is to my taste. So for anyone who would dare accuse me of favoring queer content, I mean, most of the time I, you're probably right. But in this case, I'm like, OK, I really just don't like this genre as much as other genres. Uh, you know, straight straight up broke a lot of the rules. You know, it is a rom-com we determined, it but it, it it feels very different from a lot of them. This is very much a, a like, so this is like a good once watch for me, but then I should just never watch it again or like I should watch it 10 years from now. I don't think watching it six months after I watched it the first time was that was too much. This is what I really wanted, and I can't... Is it the happiest season, the Aubrey Plaza Christmas movie? Yes. Okay. I couldn't remember what it was called. 
Um, so this is what I really wanted the happiest season to be like because I was having a conversation with my sister the other day and we were talking about how there's increasingly really, really good media and general content, queer content surrounding gay men like you have like heartstopper was like the number one thing that we were talking about um but you don't see that a lot for queer women i think we're still in the i'm coming out and that's the story loop for queer women madison i'm yes. heartbroken a league Why? of their own okay you know what you're right you're right you're right you're right you're right you are right um, when we were having this conversation, I had not watched that yet. She still hasn't watched it because she hates me. And every time I recommend stuff to her, she's like, actually, no. And then she waits and she watches it. And she always enjoys it. Like, I was telling her forever, watch New Girl. You will like it. I've never met someone who's watched New Girl and gone, you know what? Actually, not for me. And she just finished it. And she loved it. That's like uh, my, my aunts love to talk about the fact that anytime they recommend like a book to my my grandfather, who's a huge reader, by the way, like reads literally everything. The library is like probably his favorite place to go. I love that so much. He loves the library and he loves law and order. Those are his passions. <laughs> Am I your grandfather? <laughs> you might be my grandfather. But but they they read I the like the one book I can think of that it happened with was the book thief. They read it near when it came out, which was many years ago at this point. They told him to read it and he's like, Okay, and then didn't read it. And then I think it was like one of his friends recommended it. He read it, loved it, and then he started recommending it to them and they were just like seething in anger because they were like, How dare you? I've told you to read this book for I don't know how long, but the minute your friend me- recommends it, you just pick it up. Uh, and my dad, my dad, I think this is a dad thing because my dad does that to me sometimes. I'll tell him to watch something and he's like, okay, he won't watch it. And then like six months to a year goes by and then he recommends it to me as if he found it. I'm like, sir, I watched that when it came out and I told you, I think you'll like this and you didn't listen. It's a little hurtful. <laughs> no, I think what's more hurtful is when you love something so much that you sit down with somebody to watch it. And then you can just see the absolute, I do not give a fuck about what I am watching across their face. Like, they're still politely engaging with it, but they're just not into it and you can read it because I, okay, so I made my parents watch Dairy Girls just like a couple episodes the other day. And you know, I live and breathe Dairy Girls. It's one of the best shows ever created. I will fist fight anyone in a Hobby Lobby parking lot who speaks differently against it. I just, I love it. And my dad enjoyed it. He cackled at the same parts that I cackled at. We're basically the same person. I look like a carbon copy of my mom. I sound like my mom. My mannerisms are a lot like my mom. But everything that comes out of my mouth is my dad. And... So we were in sync, like, oh my god, that's so funny. And my mom was just sitting there, and I could see it. She was just very politely watching it. But she goes, after, like, I think it was two episodes, um, and they're only, like, 20 minutes each, 
she looked at my little sister who was also watching it with us and she goes yeah I think after this episode we'll probably um move on to watch some HGTV episodes that I DVR'd you know Madison it's funny that you bring up HGTV uh because as we all know uh it's the homosexual gay network uh that was one of the funniest fucking things in this entire show because then the dad goes, is it porn? <laughs> like, he's, like, kind of skeptical. He's like, it's not porn, is it? And But then he responds. Kind of. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, that's, like, one and of I my... Mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> well, that's one of my favorite things that the internet has done is start describing things as porn. Like, it's food porn or it's cab... Mm-hmm. There's There was this book that when I worked at the bookstore that we sold called cabin porn. It was just photos of like cabins and tree houses and things like that. But like people love looking at, they love looking. Yeah. Everyone's a voyeur in some type of way. Exactly. Exactly. So HGTV is for voyeurs of home and gardens. Is that what HG stands for? What does HGTV stand for? Yes. Home and garden television. Incredible. Incredible. No, that was great. I like to say that there are only certain ways to save some things, and that is by sexualizing it. And that is why when I eventually run for public office, I'm going to campaign on the idea of the only way that we are going to save the United States Postal Service. And I did not come up with this. Um, Her name is... Brenna, I want to say it's Brenna White, but don't quote me on that. She's an amazing uh, chef out of LA. Uh, She also has a podcast called Mouth Hole, but she once tweeted that the only way to save the USPS is to sexualize it, and I've never heard anything more right. The only way that we're going to properly back our boys in blue the USPS, is if we make them fucking fit, all right? If we make those shorts so fucking short, if we make those sleeves just a little too tight on their biceps, and this is for, this is for all genders, you know? This is for the whole gender spectrum. I want women, men, gender fluid, non-binary. I want the entire USPS just so sexualized. And that's how we're going to save it. I would pay a dollar per stamp if I got to see that package come to my door. (laughs) There are images (laughs) I cannot erase from my brain. I'm so glad this is not a visual medium. I'm tomato red. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's why Shiplap really came back. You just had HGTV have really hunky renovators be like, you know, looks great in your home. Shiplap. They're fucking lying, but goddamn, the industry's probably booming. But yeah, no, I love that line. I also loved the um, clue reference that Peter does. When he's irritated with his boss. Flames. On the side of my face. Heaving. Heaving breaths. 
iconic and it was so quick but that's what I love about really well written movies is that they do have little bits like that that are just such a cute little wink at anyone who knows and it makes me feel like I'm in the in crowd you know yeah absolutely the one thing about this or one of the things that I really don't like about this movie is his entire family's obsession with him being in a relationship it is it doesn't feel nice and the thing is is that this kind of attitude about your that that older people have about their children which is like when are you getting married when are you giving me grandchildren you know not to not to go off on a on a tangent that's like less fun but like the thing that really irks me about that it's like you decided to have children like that was your choice mm-hmm. but there's there that there was nothing in that contract that said you got to dictate what your kids do with their life and like sure yeah. maybe you want grandkids but like if they don't want kids then well tough tough cookies you know I <laughs> also and and this isn't specifically parents uh, to kids. The grandkids thing is, but like I I've had people in my life that are not necessarily parents or or family members that just seem very invested in people being in relationships and I'm like, "Why mm-hmm. do you care so much?" I'm really struggling to understand why this seems so important to you. Uh, And I feel like it's probably like we could probably do a whole you and I would have to go get (laughs) psychology degrees to unpack. I do have a minor in psychology. I think I'm qualified. Great. Okay. to basically unpack the the fact, you know, how how our society is built for two, like everything is. Mm -hmm. And so you have to have a partner because who are you going to do shit with? And the fact that, like, we don't seem to lean on our friends the way that I think that we should be able to. And 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 for the record, people do, like, individually. But I'm saying as, like, a uh, societal convention, you're supposed to lean on a partner. And that partner is almost always romantic. I know this is something I keep bringing up, but it's just something that really irks me because there are just so many different types of relationships that people have. And I don't think that there is one person that completes you i i think that that idea is a bunch of bullshit that's fed to us to isolate us and honestly probably a product of capitalism so (laughs) so that we're buying more shit instead of uh you know using community resources and anywho i'll get off my i'll get off this holiday box but uh (laughs) festive soapbox I'm going to step right back on your soapbox because I completely agree with everything you just said. It's interesting because I see that a lot. We all know, especially with what's happening right now politically, that America is very much a Christian-centric country. We have politicians who literally refer to themselves as Christian nationalists, which is just a fancy way to say uh, Christian fascism. Correct. But there's that notion of one being made from the other. There's the notion of things going in two. So you have Adam and Eve, you have Noah's Ark, you have all of these 
bits of Christian teaching that's permeated into our culture of two-ness. And you see that in other mythologies as well. It's not just the Christian mythology that has the idea of two-ness or one being made from the other and therefore forever bound in the sort of Simone de Beauvoir mid-sign shit, although that's more, you know, men and women being inseparable uh, forcibly by nature and society. But I digress to say that culture, which is strange because our culture is also so hell-bent on almost self-damaging independence. And I think with our drive to be really independent in our society, it undermines a community notion. And then you have that baked in idea of two-ness. I think that's what convinces people that if you don't have a partner, you are wayward. And then we further punish people who don't want to live within that structure, especially in this country, but also in other uh, first world, especially Western countries. We have this idea that we have to be independent, but we also have to be together because as human beings, we have to maintain some sort of sense of community. And then we further punish those who don't subscribe to that, who are singular in their existence, they still have community. They still have friends and reach out and that sort of thing. But if you want to, for instance, live on your own, on average, it costs 30% more to live on your own. And I'll say this, you know, I, I could be very, very happily in a relationship with someone. And that's why previous relationships have or haven't worked because I never want to live with somebody. I hate the idea of someone chronically being in my space or someone chronically or me being chronically in someone else's space because I'm a solitary creature who likes to go out and experience others. And if I ever got married, I would want to just have two tiny houses that were separate, that maybe had like a connecting bridge or something, because I don't want to live with anybody. That's gross. What if they don't own a shower scrubber? Like some people think you can just spray shower cleaner and leave it and then you're done and you just rinse it off. And I can't live like that, Chelsea. So I agree. I I also think it's just a very heteronormative thing to be like, okay, you're of a certain age, you need to be paired up. And a part of that is, like you're talking about, the drive for grandbabies and stuff like that, which I also never want to have. Although my mom is fine with that. Um, she was talking to one of her coworkers the other day or like a group of her coworkers. I can't remember exactly, but... Something was said about grandchildren, and she goes, oh, I'm never having any of those. And they're like, I'm pretty sure that's your daughter's decision, because she has three daughters. And she's like, oh, no, that's that's an edict passed down from the higher-ups. So, you know, they, they all say no kids. And they're like, oh, they'll change their mind. What is with that? That pisses me off to no end. 
I first of all, you need to take people at their word if that's what they're saying to you. And I'm not saying that people don't or won't change their mind, but you can't hold out for them to. And it's so condescending for someone to think that they know a person mm-hmm. more than they know themselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I've gotten as well. It's like, oh, you'll change your mind. And I'm like, the the further I get into adulthood, the more that that idea has is cemented. Oh, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? I think people think I would hit a certain age and be like, yep, I definitely want a, a, a small human. Uh, but I do not. I love being an aunt because I like to hand the kid back when it gets too fussy. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I want to I want to load them up with sugar and then send them back and they can be somebody else's problem. Yeah, no, I have a I have a friend who is going to end up having a whole softball team of children and I'll just go borrow some of hers. One of her ch- one of her children, I've already caught their vomit in my hands in front of a bird display. So I think that that's enough child anything, you know, of, of like personal. I think I think I'll just borrow hers. Great. I honestly I think that's that's the best way to go. You know? I yeah. uh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Look, look, anyway, back back to to this film. Uh yeah, I just <laughs> no, I just it really bugged me that that everyone seemed weirdly invested in his love life, especially because it makes it seem like he's never dates anyone. But that's not the impression that I got in the beginning of the film. The pre- I got that he does date people and maybe he hasn't ever brought somebody them home for the holidays. But like, that's a big step, especially since they live across the country. Like that's some intense travel. And Even if the guy he had been seeing hadn't been married, he was a doctor. Like, that's difficult for Mm -hmm. somebody in that field to take that kind of time off, you know? So... Especially if he has a wife. Yeah, exactly. That just makes it... (laughs) That makes it a lot more difficult. So, yeah, I... uh, That that really irked me. And it it wasn't just his parents. It was his uh, siblings and also his eldest nieces, Got, like, yeah. very invested in... Well, they were more invested in, in getting Nick and Peter together, not so much in the fact that Peter had a significant other. Yeah, I think that was my main... Because the meddling of the mom and the sisters, especially, that bugged me more because that was just, we want you to be with somebody. The nieces, however, I think they jumped on the train of we want you to be happy and we see that this makes you happy and we really like this guy and he really likes you. We want this to work. So I feel like the nieces, I give them a pass. Well, they're they're teenagers, to be clear. I'm more apt to give them a pass, but a bunch of grown people meddling. They weren't looking out for his happiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, and that's the thing that I think is condescending is a lot of times people will say, like, why like, why are you so obsessed with this person's love life? Well, I just want them to be happy. And I think it's so condescending to assume that a person is miserable because they're not in a relationship. Mm-hmm. How do you know? Have you talked to them? There are plenty of folks that aren't interested. Or even if they are, like, for you to be obsessed when they haven't asked you for help in that department... 
You know what I mean? I feel like that is a recipe for you to make that person feel worse, especially if that is something that they want and it just hasn't worked out, you know? This is a PSA, especially as I'm at the time of you listening, everyone is probably uh, home for the holidays. Uh, don't don't uh, don't ask about your your kids, your family's uh, lack of a love life and why they haven't found someone yet, um, because fuck you. That's not a thing they should be asking. <laughs> I don't even think that you should ask people if they're seeing somebody. Here's the thing. If they want you to know that they will bring it up. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and also, like, I just think about, like, you know, people might not share because maybe they don't, you know, it's not a serious relationship yet or, or you know, they're trying to figure things out. They People will share things with you when they are ready to share things with you. And not only that, I feel like we assume a lot. Well, families, no. Families assume a lot when they go like, oh, are you seeing anybody? And they automatically also jump to heteronormative assumptions like oh you know you have a let's say you have like um a female family member coming home from college for the holidays and if you look at her and go oh are there any cute boys on campus one like if they're not straight one you're making a huge assumption but you're also kind of asking them to out themselves in that moment if they haven't come out like no but actually i am dating this woman you that's just don't bring it up don't bring shit up if they don't bring it up yep okay that's my psa great i i think that's a great psa home for the holidays let people talk about the things they want to talk about and don't be nosy which i Believe is something I've said before on this podcast. Don't be so goddamn nosy. Mm-hmm. Don't be so goddamn nosy. That's, that's my advice. I say as a completely nosy person, but... <laughs> <laughs> it'll be it'll be uh, on our merch uh, once we get our merch ambassadors lined up and approve the designs. Don't be so goddamn nosy will be part of our merch line. Keep a lookout for that for 2024. On a slightly lighter note, uh, what is white women's obsession with signs that say like very basic, obvious things or like that might be slightly punny? Uh-huh. I, I was watching this TikTok recently and, and I, I wish that I knew the creator because, you know, but she was talking about a, a friend who was a white woman. The creator was a black woman. And she was saying, like, she gave me this jar that said sugar on it that she got at, like, TJ Maxx. And I thought, like, oh, okay. And then and then she's like, but then every, like, birthday she would, like, get me another one. And then she's like, and then I went over to her house and she just had all of them everywhere. Everything was labeled for the thing that it was. And then I, I thought it was just her, but I went to another person. Like, I went to one of her friend's houses and all of it was the same. And I was like, I... I didn't put that together, maybe because I am a white woman. But like, yeah, I mean, like, it's not decor that I have. But like, I now that it's been pointed out to me, I'm like, so many people have that. Everything's labeled. So then like, you have Christmas Carol. I don't want to disrespect her. Uh, You know, has all of her signs. And they're all those like that, that font. I don't know what that font is, but it's like an Etsy font. Like, like. It's Ray Dunn. Is that what it is? 
Yeah, it is actually a brand. Uh, if, if it's from TJ Maxx and you find a canister and it just uh, very aggressively says like beans in that weird sort of tall, all caps font, that is Ray Dunn. And I have seen videos of Karen's literally in like WWE Smackdown style, full out like drag downs. It's crazy over Ray Dunn shit. I don't, I mean, like, I, I don't know. I don't get it. But, but anyway, but like her signs are all like, uh, with, with the one she gives Peter is like, bloom where you are planted. Um, <laughs> or, and I don't even remember what the one she was going to give to, uh, I don't know her name, Jocelyn from Shit's Creek. But it was like not even, it was something about spiders, like hoping there's not spiders somewhere. Like, like they're yeah, not like, thank funny. God spiders don't fly. Yeah, yeah. But but the thing is, is it's like all those live, laugh, love things. It, it's like that. Uh-huh. And then it's like on steroids. I won't name any names. But one of my family members, at least that I, I have not seen their in the inside of their house since they moved into it. But the home in which they resided prior to that. I had a wall going, and they'll automatically know this is them, but I'm not calling them out directly by name, so it's okay. Um, they had a wall leading down, like, along a stairway that just looks like they held a Hobby Lobby at gunpoint and got just every brand of sign like that. You know, like, the Bible verse reference and the live, laugh, loves and the happiness is a drop of sunshine from someone's asshole i don't know you know whatever the fuck those signs say and it just looked like an explosion of them all over and so i personally like to have signs that sort of look like that but are a bit irreverent like i have one that looks like a pretty little needle point in the bathroom or cross stitch in the bathroom that says, uh, please don't do coke in the bathroom. And then I have another one that my cousin actually made me. It's beautiful. It's this beautiful cross stitch that says bitch in kitchen. My sister made me, and this was something I saw on TikTok, but it was making fun of the live, laugh, love signs. She embroidered me a pillow that said alive. Ahaha. Fuck. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think that especially with how widespread uh, those cricket machines are, the vinyl cutters, everyone's like, you know what I can do? Make signs. We don't want them. Look, follow your bliss. If that's what brings you joy, more power to you. Again, I don't want to deny people the things that make them feel good so long as those things are not hurting other folks. So, you know, Christmas Carol, you do you. But... There's an epidemic of these signs. And like now that I've seen them, I can't unsee them. And they're just everywhere. No, Serena hates the... Because Ray Dunn takes really cute canisters and pillows and stuff like that and just slaps a word on it. And she said the other day, she's like, I found this really cute canister... But I can't remember what she said. It said across it. She's like, but it said something across it that I would never use it for. 
And so I couldn't get it because it would feel dumb having something in it where it was labeled differently. But I also like to, well, one, I like to use the phrase raw dog out of context constantly. uh, And that's notable because I'm about to say this. I just like to raw dog life in terms of labeling things because I have three canisters. Now, they're all different sizes, but I have three canisters all filled with flour, three different kinds of flour. None of them are labeled. I know what's in them because I put it in there. I know that the big one's all purpose and the medium one is self-rising and the small one is bread flour. No one else will know that though. It's just me. You need a, what was his name? Ray Dunn. Ray Dunn. You need a Ray Dunn canister that says bread flour, self-rising flour, all-purpose flour. Are they that specific or are they just, uh, just flour? They... They tend to be either more general, like beans or flour, or very specific, like cotton swabs. I just don't know why you need that stuff labeled. Also, I mean, I don't, I I think it's, and and this could just be me, a, a person that's not been an adult for all that long. And broke, so like I'm not gonna buy something to put cotton swabs in. I'm just gonna leave them in the packaging I bought them in. Because I'm not precious about where my cotton swabs go. Okay? <laughs> but like, okay, wait, no, no. I bought I bought a, a, a soap dispenser for my bathroom the other day. And it was like, I was in the aisle at Walmart and I was having a real time of it. Because I was like, I can just keep refilling the plastic one I bought other soap in. That's, it works fine. But I was like, everything else in this bathroom looks nice. So I feel like I need a soap dispenser. And I did it. I bought one. I felt like an adult. It looks really nice. But at what cost? $14.95. That's the cost. (laughs) It's glass. I bought a glass one. It's very pretty. It's like amber. Chelsea, quite frankly, I am... I didn't know that I was friends with a railroad tycoon because I can't, I don't know anyone else who could afford such a luxury. (laughs) I think the plastic one just started looking really gross. And I was like, well, I can either buy another plastic one, but then I'm putting more plastic into the universe or I can buy a refillable one, even though it's, yeah. I told someone recently when I go to the grocery store, if it's over $3, I'm like, it's too expensive. It doesn't matter what the item is. I'm just like, if it's more than $3, it's too rich for my blood. Do you do the thing where when you go into a store and you see something that you like, you go, you think in your head like, okay, I would pay this much for this item. And if it's more than that, by over like 3 or $4, you just immediately put it back? No, it's just if it's more than $3, I'm like, I can't buy it. I'm not even <laughs> it doesn't matter even if something like I was talking to my mom and she's like Chelsea but that's gonna last you a long time I'm like yeah but it's more than three dollars it's like four fifty <laughs> I can't afford that I'm not an oil baron three dollars or under that's my budget <laughs> see I'll go I'll go and be like okay I really need a new sweater I and I will find a sweater that looks like what I'm looking for and I'll go, okay, I will pay $25 for this. And if it's like $27, i will buy it. But if that bitch is 30 or over, I'm like, nope, that is too rich for my blood. I have named my price. 
and it exceeded it by too far and then i will just put it back and walk away great i'd never be able to buy clothing if i did that with clothing uh but truth be told i just buy the same i buy the same outfit like in every color that it comes in and then i just wear those until they fall apart and then i'm like oh crap i gotta go to the store again but it doesn't happen very often yeah i don't care about clothes so i just want to be comfortable you know I support that. And you know what's super comfortable? Stripping down to just a long sleeve shirt and jeans and a scarf and covering your face in shaving cream for an Instagram ad. Yes. Yes. So, okay. So I, I gotta, I gotta come clean. I listened to, this was several months ago, but uh, I listened to the Queer Movie Podcast, which is hosted by Rowan Ellis and Jazza John. Uh, they're creators from the UK uh, and a lot more famous than us. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, they, <laughs> they, they did do this uh, movie for their, I think it was last year. And I finally listened to the episode shortly after I watched this film. And one of the things that they pointed out was that, like, the fact that they would, like, two days before he needs this ad just is so ridiculous because, Mm -hmm. like, there are contracts and things. And, like, Mm -hmm. you, these would need to be approved. And it was approved. And I, look, I'm not trying to take away from the ridiculousness of business because sometimes people want things and I'm just like, I don't know what world you're living in. But that's not the world I'm living in. And so your real your like expectations are way too high. You clearly I mean, come on, there's practically a whole genre dedicated to like the fact that CEOs don't even know how to convert files from like a PDF to a Word document or whatever it is. Right. And but and yet they're making so much more money. And they're also just like, we'll just make it go viral as if that is something you have control over on the Internet. Right. Like these people are ridiculous. So I I get that that's doing that. But yeah, I was watching this going. I mean, yes, both of these men are very attractive. All three. They can all be in the Instagram ad. A little ridiculous that they're doing it last minute. So, you know, I just I just thought I'd bring that up. You know, it's a little little kooky. I don't. Oh, yeah. Well, I think that one of my favorite things about movies like this. So these two men live in Los Angeles, which have some of the highest costs of living in the entire country. And one of them wrote a children's book and seemingly like saved a lot of the money from the children's book what money madison what money so i was reasoning it out in my head right because he said that he's using his rainy day book money to pay for the first six months of that lease and that's like prime space in new hampshire it's on a main drag through the town even if it's a small town it's still through the main drag of everything so really truly lowballing it because looking at the size of the space i would say lowballing it i'd place that between 2500 to 3000 a month to lead, to rent that space for business because again it's really good real estate in a small town so 
That means that he has around, let's say, $18,000 to pour into this space as a children's book author of one book. Of which I don't believe he's the illustrator, which means two people had to get paid for that book. Yeah. So a debut children's author. Like, he's not being... He's not making any money off of that book. Authors in general do not make money. Like, unless you are a, I'll say, name brand author, like a Stephen King or... Who has millions upon millions of dollars. Exactly. Like, you're you're not making that kind of money. Like, they make it seem like, oh, he did this thing. Like, honestly, fine. You can make him a children's author, but I think they should have given him money... I, like it's canonically his mother has has died so like make that be the money that he has like it's an inheritance that makes far more right? sense than him having this rainy day fund from his book advance from a children's book I don't care how success or he would have money if like somebody bought the rights to like make it a movie or um a t- children's television program like if Netflix decided they're gonna adapt this children's book into like a cartoon series for for kids then he would have some money still not a lot of money but some money but but book money is that's no money not not at that level but on so on top of this he's also a task rabbit so he's working the gig economy doing odd jobs for people which chelsea you you're more familiar with the gig economy than i am but it's not something that you can until you get a steady flow of like consistent work with the same people it's it's not something that you can easily do living in a nice apartment in Los Angeles even if you have a roommate like I'm assuming they had a two-bedroom no I definitely think they were spooning and they were just like we won't talk about it yeah (laughs) That's my level they, of romance. That's just like, I didn't even know we were flirting. They were butt cuddling, which I like to call a cuddle <laughs> impasse ass impasse. Oh my God, Madison. I'm not sorry about that. It really did kind of feel like that running joke of the HGTV, like love it or list it type of couples who go in and one of them is a gig worker who also does children's books on the side and the other is a social media marketing consultant and their budget for their new new hampshire home is 1.2 million that's the vibe i think i that's that's very quintessentially rom-com though you cannot have a normal job and be in a rom-com like you're not gonna find a rom-com where one person is an accountant and one person is a middle school math teacher but could they be a tiktok accountant well that would be pretty spicy although i will say that i follow a good handful of tiktok accountants and i'll tell you why Because when they take their big bag of money from their accounting and dump it out on their floor and then organize it and run it through their bill counters, that is my ASMR. 
I love that shit. Also, okay, he's going to continue doing his gig work. He seems to be doing just fine running that. And I honestly wish that we had more apps for something like that. You're like, oh shit, I need someone with a drill like right now and just have that door dashable in a way. But I love the idea of you have somewhat uh, a couple moving to New Hampshire and one of them is going to open a plant shop and the other one is going to do gig work around town and that just is going to make financial sense. I think they're going to be sleeping in the plant shop. They're going to be eating the plants too. Mm-hmm. They're going to be like, you know what looks really good? That uh, ficus. I look forward to the day where we find a rom-com in which and maybe it doesn't exist. If somebody knows if it exists, please recommend that we watch it. But a rom-com where their jobs make sense for the storyline that they're in, the things that they are doing. But Chelsea, that wouldn't match with today's sponsor, which is unrealistic jobs that don't pay a lot. But for some reason, you can live in either Los Angeles or New York City. Impeccable. Yes. Yeah. Those jobs include uh, just general like freelance writer because you and I, we can write a sentence or even a paragraph, uh, but you don't really find people paying you to do that very often, especially in a freelance way, in a sustainable way until you've built that up years and years in the making. Let's see. What else is a really good one? Another really good job. I don't know. Our sponsor should have provided more details. It's kind of haphazard of them. I feel like it's they want them to have some quirky job. Yeah. And I guess it's like they need they need to have a job where they can either like work from somewhere else because they have to like especially for like a holiday movie where they're going to be going somewhere else from where they actually live. So they can't, and and they also need something where, like, they won't be working during the holidays. So, because, you know, they need time mm-hmm. for romance. So they can't, True. they can't be, like, a stock trader that's, like, on, not unless they are the, the, Rom- uh, the, the, the current partner that will be dumped by the end of the movie. Then that could be the asshole on the, on the phone the whole time, trading stocks or, or a lawyer answering calls. Or, hear me out. They could still be the love interest as long as they get trapped by a snowstorm in a small town and they meet the local innkeeper who also is a gingerbread house maker and she makes all the gingerbread houses or he makes all the gingerbread houses for the town during Christmas and they teach the stockbroking lawyer about the true meaning of the holidays and about love. And then they realize that they want to leave their stockbroking lawyering behind yep. to make gingerbread houses. Mm-hmm. Correct. I just, I think that there should just be more lumberjacks in general And that has nothing to do with all the videos that I keep sending you from TikTok of that one uh, really hot chick chopping wood. She's so strong. (laughs) 
<laughs> She's so strong. That's Her what arms me are so, so toned. My arms are like chicken bones. She could snap your arm in half, and then you'd say thank you. I would, I would write her a handwritten thank you note with my good arm, and then wax seal it. Are you kidding me? I can't handle those videos. No, that's why I keep sending them to you, so I don't have to bear it alone. And then I send it to someone else. So it's a vicious cycle. <laughs> it's perpetuated. I'm trying to think of fixes that I would do for this film. And I think the main fix is I would keep, I would make it so the mom is the only one meddling because we have to have some source of conflict, even though it wasn't true conflict, like it wasn't aggressive conflict. It was very settled before it really came to any real fruition, which I think a good rom-com that should sort of be what happens. But I want her to be the only one meddling and have everyone else be like, oh my god, leave him alone. If he's happy, he's happy. Yeah, just more more Jennifer Coolidge. I would like them to actually pretend to be dating because that's sort of like mm-hmm. what you think is going to happen. And I feel like that's what the trailer leads you to believe. But they don't actually. And I think that that would have provided some, you know, some juicy stuff happening because they would be in situations in which they have to pretend to be a couple. And that puts both of them closer to each other. And you're going to have Nick, who is aware that he's in love with Peter. Peter, who's not aware that he's in love with Nick. And then you can have some of the family members start to pick up on what's happening. And then they could come in and be you know, like put, you know, get them to go out with each other. I feel bad. I don't necessarily want to get rid of the, the James character, the ski instructor, because he was a nice guy, but I don't know. I think I would have liked to see them date more, you know, Peter and, and Nick. I actually kind of like that they immediately thwarted that idea because it's, it's been done before of bringing home the fake boyfriend or whatever. I liked that they didn't immediately go with that. So I would probably keep that. But instead, I want to play up the dad's involvement. And I want him to actively be meddling and trying to thwart the mom's plan a lot more on screen. Because he does kind of, you know, give a little push, a little nudge there, a little fatherly talk to Nick. But I want him to be just as invested but meddling for his son's happiness rather than meddling for some weird desire to pair off your children. Also, I think that that's just really weird in general for parents because think about it. If you're, because my parents have not done this because, well, they know me uh, and I'm a very vocal person. But my grandparents, especially my grandmother on my dad's side, has always been like, well, I would just love to have great grandbabies before I die. And I'm just like, ma'am, you are barking up every wrong tree. It's not going to happen. But what she's asking, if you put it in very literal context, is 
God damn it, Madison. Why don't you just go out and fuck so that I can have a tiny human to buy more presents for? And I'm a I'm all for sexual positivity and everything, but I really don't want any of my family members being disappointed when I'm not getting laid. <laughs> Because they don't want to know any other time when I'm getting laid. So why do they want to know then? It's like when parents are like, oh, yeah, my son and his wife are trying for a baby. And they're talking about it like in church with their church friends. And it's like, Linda, you're literally just telling Cheryl that they're going to pound town on the reg when she's ovulating. Is that not weird? <laughs> no, it's 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 very it's very very weird. It's very very weird. But it's it's the same thing people like when 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 folks get married, they, you know, will make comments and it's like, well, it's because it, it's 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 sanctioned by the Lord then, Madison. <laughs> it's what God would want. I think that Madison's... You heard it here, folks. Under the sanctity of marriage, God's... Under the sanctity of marriage, God wants you to take it to Pound Town. (laughs) It is in these moments that I am so conscious that relatives of mine listen to this. (laughs) Like, I'm so... I am so consciously aware of the fact that... And I'm an adult, but like... I, I, I'm just, hi, everyone. Hi, Chelsea's aunt. Hi, mom. (laughs) I know my mom listens to this now. I finally talked her into it. Hi, dad, maybe. I don't know. He listened to like two episodes when they were in the car recently on a trip. That's amazing. I I don't know. So, whoops. (laughs) (laughs) I said it. It wasn't you. I know, but... Uh, I know. That's why I'm so much more consciously polite is because I just have a laundry list of relatives that listen to this. So I'm like, I look, all I'm saying is, is that actually makes Christianity sound really fun. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I also want to note that I'm a middle child, so I'm destined for life and an early death from alcoholism, drug abuse, and premarital sex, so. Great. Perfect. Love that for you. Thank you. Sounds like a fun time. I haven't time. gotten to the alcoholism part, but mm-hmm. I'm working on it, I guess. Okay. Goals. You have to have goals. It's good to have goals. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, and legally, uh, especially in terms of job protection and everything, I drink very sparingly and I have never, ever tried a single drug with the exception of caffeine. I don't know. That's pretty racy, Madison. I know. I'm, I'm so sorry. You should be ashamed of yourself. Caffeination? I really am. Before I noon, no less? I, I, I'll go repent. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we should discuss whether or not this is a rom-com. What do you say? I think that's a great idea. So first question, did, do they date? Are there moments in which we can see their connection forming and deepening? 
I think that that's a pr- pretty obvious yes. I mean, they are, you know, that Instagram cap- campaign, the way he they look mm-hmm. into each other's eyes as he breathes out and you can see the fog on his breath. I mean, that's practically a dalliance. HGTV. <laughs> um, then, all right, so yeah, they date. They, they they date. They they look lovingly into each other's eyes. Also, like I know that sometimes they're not on date. They're not with each other when this is happening. But like when he's talking about Nick, when Peter's on dates with James and he's talking about Nick, like it is so clear how like how in love he is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really really sweet. It's very cute. But anywho, all right. So they date. Did we laugh? Jennifer Coolidge is here. Uh, she said, all the world's a stage and some of us are desperately under-rehearsed. Which, oddly enough, is I thought was they were, uh, you know, making a play on, on, isn't that Shakespeare, all the world's a stage? Uh-huh, and all the men merely players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, apparently, but what she says is something that an Irish dramatist, Sean somebody... I know that's so specific. Mm. There's literally only ever been one Irishman named Sean, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) I looked it up earlier and I don't have it in my notes because I'm a professional. Let me write this down because I'm a (laughs) professional. I'm a professional. Anywho. um, (laughs) Amazing. My my job on this podcast is to sing very obscure musical theater esque numbers, and for those who know, they can laugh, and for everyone else, they can think that I came up with it and think I'm really great at musical improv, which I actually am. I've just never done it on this podcast. We'll do that in a bonus episode if the people demand it. Great. <laughs> All right. So Perfect. so we we laughed. Uh, Jennifer Coolidge. Yeah. I. I also appreciated the mom getting the acronym wrong. She just kept and she just kept adding T's. So she was like LGBTT, LGBTTT, LGBTTTTT. <laughs> I thought that was very funny. I loved that. She's just a really big supporter of the trans community. And we love that for her. She said trans rights. <laughs> Christmas Carol said protect trans children, protect trans adults. Protect trans elders, trans rights for everybody. She's a huge, huge supporter. We love that about Christmas Carol. We love Christmas Carol. <laughs> so the last question is, is love in the driver's seat? Is the the romance what is propelling this story forward? I think the answer to that is yes. That is, is very clear from the beginning. He is going to bring along Nick to pretend to kind of get out of this uncomfortable situation and then you know everything else is through both the potential romance with James and then also the 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 romance that actually uh develops into to something with Nick mm-hmm. uh, that's the whole story is is watching those things move forward and that's what's propelling the action so yeah absolutely Yeah, I will say, though, that I do admire that once Nick realizes, like, once he feels like he can pursue Peter, 
it doesn't become that, like, oh, I have to sabotage his dates. I have to make sure that he realizes I love him, which a lot of friends to lovers stories will do. My best friend's wedding, maid of honor, um, that sort of story that you typically see of that realization of, oh my god, I'm in love with my best friend, and they might be with someone else and I have to stop it. The characters who are trying to transition the relationship can come across overly possessive, very obsessive, and end up sabotaging opportunities for the other character in order to position them in a way that would be beneficial to them. And of course, because it's a rom-com, it all works out. And they're like, yeah, I always loved you too. Da, da, da. I always wanted to be with you. That sort of thing. Or they come to realize. But this doesn't do that in a way that's negative. Nick just lays it out and doesn't do anything negative. When Peter first tells him, like, I can't lose you as a friend... Of course, he goes and packs and everything, but before Peter even comes and does his whole I'm in love with you thing, by that point, Nick had already rented out the shop for Peter. He had accepted that the relationship wasn't going to happen. He was willing to let Peter go and pursue his dreams where he wanted to pursue them without him. He was ready to fly back across to the other coast and let him go because he loved him that much. It wasn't a jealous possessive, no, this has to work. No, you have to love me. Like you see in a lot of friends to lovers stuff. It was just, okay, I put that out there. I understand. You're what's valuable to me. Keeping you is what matters, not maintaining a specific form of a relationship. And I loved that about this film. I loved that. So yes, obviously love is in the driver's seat. It's a very formulaic rom-com, but it wasn't toxic like a lot of rom-coms can fall into when you're transitioning from that friend zone to sound like an incel for a second from that friend zone to a more romantic transition yeah i i i agree it's 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 a good one so chelsea this is a good rom-com this is a rom-com yeah i don't think anyone doubted that nope certainly not christmas carol christmas carol would never doubt it in fact she's making a sign right now with our three rom-com criteria with check marks next to it. She made her list. She checked it twice. She did. And she checked off all the rom-com criteria, made the sign, and that will be in our merch drop in 2024. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a rom-com. What's the watchability score? Did we like it? I think if you are a true rom-com lover, this will differ. And if you're a holiday fan, this will differ. But Chelsea, what the fuck is a watchability score? Oh, well, a watchability score is a score we give to these movies on a scale of one to five. On basically, 
how watchable it is. Uh, and we have modeled it after Zillow's walkability score, which judges uh, locations you might want to live by how easy it is to access uh, the things in your town uh, by walking there. Uh, so number one, we have stranded in the desert. You're really not getting anywhere. You don't even have a car. Number two is Backroads Barbecue. So middle of nowhere. You got some good food, but a little sketchy. Three is Strip Mall in Suburbia. So you have some nice things, some okay things. Let's be honest. Right in a row, but that's really everything. You have to drive to get there. You need a car. Very American. Mm-hmm. Number four is four blocks from a transit stop. So you're not next to where all the action is, but you can get there pretty easily and cheaply. And of course, number five, the best coffee shop in town is right downstairs. So it's pretty spectacular. I actually have two scores for this. Great. On its face, for me, I'd probably put it at a three. It's a good watch. It's not, it's, it's not necessarily something that I would go back to every year, that sort of thing. But if you love Hallmark-style movies, formulaic rom-coms, if you love holiday rom-coms, I would actually give this a four. You have to be one of those people who specifically seeks out holiday-based romance which I don't because I actually hate Christmas. But if you are one of those people, this is a four. So what do you rate it? I'm giving it a three and a half because it's gay. Love that. I, honestly, yeah, I don't I, really like holiday stuff. I was, I'm giving this a four as terms of watchability. Oh, wow. Now, if you ask me what my score is for rewatchability, I might change it because as I stated earlier... Uh, as much I do like this I think this is a cute movie I think if you're watching it for what it is I think you're gonna have a good time the first time I watched it I had a good time I think rewatching it uh some of those hallmarky things that are not my cup of cocoa I'll say because it's Christmas <laughs> you know they got to me but I, I I think if this is your first watch I think this is easily a four it's it's, it's you're gonna have a good time it's a feel-good kind of fl- flick and it didn't have a lot of the problematic elements that I think a lot of uh, rom-coms have in it. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I mean, of course, of course, I just hate the fact that Nick made an unrealistic amount of money. Uh, but that was <laughs> one of my biggest complaints. And the fact that the parents are so obsessed with Peter's love life. So, yeah, I, I, I'm going to say watchability. I think it's a four. Nice. Nice. That's... You actually rated this rom-com higher than I did. I know. That's wow. a first. But I did pick this movie, so. That's true. And, hey, not most people are not absolute Grinches like me. No. Well, Madison, now is the time for us to tell folks about what could possibly be the end of this podcast. Deep breaths. Okay, Chelsea, I've been both looking forward to and dreading this day for months now. And it has arrived. The time has come that the next episode and the next ep- the next movie we will be watching is my favorite movie of all time, When Harry Met Sally. 
featuring Meg Ryan and Billy Crystal as a love interest. I'm sorry. Wait, this is your favorite movie of all time? Not just your favorite rom-com? Yeah, this is my straight up favorite movie. Okay, this has just gotten a lot worse. I'm terrified. I'm sorry, the stakes got higher. I thought this was just your favorite rom-com. This is your favorite movie. Mm-hmm. Wow. Like when people ask you, oh, hey, what's your favorite movie? Because people ask your favorite shit all the time. And wh- as someone who watches a lot of movies, as someone who reads a lot of books, whenever someone says, what's your favorite movie? What's your favorite book? It's really hard to choose, obviously. But... I have, over the years, created answers for myself, and my favorite book is ever-changing. I I actually have two tied for first place in my head, Uh, but my favorite movie has been, for years, When Harry Met Sally. It's unchanging, it's evergreen, and... It might just ruin our friendship it might we may never speak again not to mention our business i know for which we've yet to be paid (laughs) hey i think that i am paid every time one of my friends or loved ones texts me and either tells me something that we got wrong or uh offers some kind of constructive criticism And goes, actually, I don't like it when you say like or you know that many times. Or you guys have terrible French pronunciations. So sorry we weren't born in France or ever took a French class. I never took a French class, only German. Actually, that's not true. I I took a semester of French in the seventh grade. I know the French alphabet, which is why when I learned the Spanish alphabet, I actually don't know the Spanish alphabet. I learned the French alphabet first, and it's lodged in there, and I just will never know the, the Spanish alphabet. Well, you know, I actually, I took either three or four, I can't remember, three or four semesters of Spanish in high school and was actually pretty good at it. And then for a stupid reason, I decided to take German in college because you liked the german tutor you've already mentioned that to the people madison i don't know why you're trying to hide it now i didn't want to relive my shame (laughs) um yeah chelsea i wanted to seduce the german tutor and i did i'm i'm glad for you i'm not it was terrible (laughs) dear god so i've lost the plot (laughs) I think that that's just the 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 catchphrase of this podcast is I've lost the plot. The yes. number of tangents and side things we go off on. And honestly, this episode, if if you splice together the amount of time we actually were talking about the film, I think the po- I think it would be like a 20-minute podcast. Incredible. I'm I'm ready. I think we're ready to take on when Harry met Sally. I okay. think it'll be fine. Um, I do know, though, that your aunt doesn't want us to watch it. No, my aunt was like, please don't watch this. And I went, I just didn't say anything because it was already on the docket. And I was like, unless Madison changes it, I'm watching it for New Year's. So It's the best New Year's movie that you can watch if you're going for a New Year's rom-com. Okay, great. Well, 
next time we'll be watching When Harry Met Sally. But in the meantime, you can vote in our poll uh, every Thursday on Instagram. We ask such hard-hitting questions as whose drag look was the best? And it was a tie this week between Patrick Swayze and Wesley Snipes, who I will, I would like to note, were not any of the people that were in the movie that we actually watched. Look, I think that Nathan Lane should have gotten a little bit more love. I liked that Gene Hackman got nothing, got a drop. but it wasn't good. I, I mean, shit, man. Patrick Swayze and Wesley Snipe and drag just looked gorgeous. That's true. So it's true. I don't. I don't blame. I don't blame our listeners for voting correctly. But, I mean, if they want... So, I will go ahead and say that while we do have uh, Twitter, uh, it is at TheLaughsPod, T-H-E-L-A-F-S-P-O-D. It has not really been active since Elon took over Twitter because uh, it's a little bit of a hellscape right now. So, it may come back... It may shut down forever. We'll keep you posted on that. But if you want to take Chelsea's poll, you can find it on our Instagram stories on Thursdays on Instagram at Love at First Screening. You can also send us a note, uh, an email to loveatfirstscreening at gmail.com and tell us everything that you love about Madison and me, but specifically me, because I think, at least from my family, Madison's getting far too much love, um, and I'm feeling a little <laughs> neglected. Uh, you can also recommend that we watch a rom-com. You do so at your own risk, because I probably won't like it, and uh, <laughs> it's possible Madison might not. And honestly, I think that would hurt people more if you didn't like it. I, I think it's pretty much advertised I'm going to hate it, but... You know, do so at your own risk. But seriously, we'd love to hear from every single one of you. You can catch us anywhere you get your podcasts every Wednesday where we're talking about all of the rom-coms you love, you love to hate, everything in between. Until next time.